Kroll and Moring's podcast bringing you the latest developments with the False Claims Act. I'm Jason Crawford, and I'm joined today by co-host Augustine Orozco and special guest Lindsay Gordon to discuss the Supreme Court's recent decision in United States XREL Polanski versus Executive Health Resources. Lindsay is a Government Contracts Counsel in Kroll and Moring's Washington, D.C. office, and her practice focuses on government contracts litigation and counseling, including government investigations and fraud matters brought under the False Claims Act. We invited Lindsay to join this episode of the podcast because she's been following the Polanski case closely, going back to when it was decided by the Third Circuit in 2021. Welcome to the podcast, Lindsay. Do you want to start things off by giving a little background on why the court granted cert in this case? Thanks, Jason. This case involved the government's authority under 31 U.S.C. Section 3730 C2A to move to dismiss a case over a relator's objections, which FCA practitioners sometimes refer to as a C2A motion. The Supreme Court granted cert to resolve two circuit splits involving C2A motions. First, whether the government has the authority to dismiss a QTAM action if the government declined to intervene in the suit during the seal period. And second, what standard courts should apply to a C2A motion to dismiss. In this case, the relator, Jesse Polanski, filed a QTAM action against Executive Health Resources, or EHR, and the government declined to intervene during the seal period. Years after its declination and when the case was well into discovery, the government decided the burdens of the suit outweighed its potential value, so the government filed a C2A motion to dismiss the case, which the district court granted. As you noted in the intro, Jason, the case went up on appeal to the Third Circuit, which, on the first issue, held that the government must intervene in an FCA suit before moving to dismiss. In this regard, the Third Circuit differed from the D.C., Ninth and Tenth Circuits, which had previously ruled that DOJ did not have to intervene before moving for dismissal. On the second issue, the Third Circuit held that the Federal Rule of Civil Procedure 41A applied to government dismissals in FCA QTAM actions the same as the rule would in any other civil lawsuit. This too created a split regarding the standard that the government must meet to exercise its dismissal authority. Unlike the Third Circuit, the D.C. Circuit had held that the government's dismissal power was essentially unfettered, and the Ninth Circuit had held that the motion to dismiss must have a, quote, rational relation to a valid government purpose. Thanks, Lindsay. So that helps explain why the court would take up the case and to resolve disputes among the circuits. Augustine, can you give us a sense of the position of the parties before the court? Sure thing, Jason. So in this case, the government had initially declined intervention, and it was seven years into litigation when the government filed a C2A motion. Polanski argued that the government gave up its authority to dismiss the suit when it initially declined to intervene and take over the case during the initial seal period. In addition to putting forward a statutory interpretation argument, Polanski made a policy argument that whistleblowers would be reluctant to pursue actions if there is a risk that the government could decide to dismiss after Relators Council has sunk substantial costs into litigating the case. Perhaps recognizing that the court was unlikely to adopt the position that DOJ could never move to dismiss after initially declining, Polanski argued in the alternative that the DOJ should have to intervene before filing a C2A motion and the motion to dismiss must have a rational relation to avoid a valid government purpose. The government took the position before the court that DOJ should not be required to intervene in order to dismiss because intervention is necessary only when the government desires to affirmatively move forward with a suit. 
DOJ also argued that its dismissal authority was unfettered because it needed to be able to dismiss at all stages of litigation in order to protect the government's interest. EHR's arguments were mostly consistent with the position taken by the government, although EHR also made an argument that curbing the government's dismissal authority would create problems under Article 2 of the Constitution because it would give private citizens the ability to move forward over the government's objection with litigation brought on behalf of the government. So now that we've discussed how the issues were teed up before the justices, Lindsay, can you walk us through the court's opinion? Sure. Thanks, Augustine. In an eight to one decision affirming the Third Circuit, Justice Kagan authored an opinion that was heavy on textual analysis. On the first issue, the court affirmed the Third Circuit's conclusion that DOJ's C2A authority continues after the initial seal period, so long as the government has intervened in the litigation. The court found support for this position in the plain text of the statute and reasoned that the government is always an interested party in KETAM litigation, such that it must have the ability to intervene and dismiss a case both during and after the seal period. The court also agreed with the Third Circuit regarding the standard that district courts should apply when DOJ files a C2A motion. The court reasoned that the federal rules are the default rules in civil litigation and that there was no reason why FRCP 41A shouldn't be applied in the context of KETAM litigation. The court went on to say that C2A motions will generally satisfy FRCP 41 in most cases because the government's views are entitled to substantial deference. Thanks, Lindsay. So even though the court did not go as far as to adopt the unfettered discretion standard that DOJ said was applicable, it sounds like the government still has wide latitude to dismiss under C2A. As a practical matter, I question whether this ruling will have a significant impact on FCA litigation. There has certainly been a big focus on the government's C2A authority over the past five years since the circulation of the Granson Memo, a document authored by the director of the Civil Fraud Section outlining the factors that AUSAs and trial attorneys should consider when evaluating whether to file a C2A motion. The public release of the memo and the subsequent debate among the FCA bar brought attention to a provision of the statute that had been rarely used in the past, but it seems unlikely that the Polanski holding will have a big impact across the gamut of FCA cases. Yeah, I completely agree. There's been a slight uptick in the number of C2A motions filed in the past few years, but the government still only uses this authority in a small fraction of the cases that it declines. And I think several factors explain why C2A motions aren't frequently filed. For one thing, if DOJ shares concerns with Relators Council about the problems with a case, for example, if DOJ explains why a Relator will have a hard time proving materiality, I think a lot of Relators Council will opt to voluntarily dismiss. I once heard a successful Relators Council share the observation that Things have really gone off the rails um, with a relator's theory of a case. Uh, if it reaches the point where the government, who's the real party interest, is, is moving to dismiss over the relator's objection. And on the government side, U.S. attorney's offices recognize that most KETAM suits could be filed in more than one jurisdiction. And so each of the U.S. attorney's offices wants to be seen as hospitable to the relator's bar because um, they want good cases to be filed in their districts. And so a case has to present rather serious problems uh, for the government to take the rather extraordinary step of moving to dismiss under C2A. So in sum, I think Polanski was a necessary case uh, in order to resolve the circuit splits that Lindsay discussed. 
but the holding of the case is likely only going to be cited in a, a small percentage of cases. Justice Thomas's dissent, on the other hand, is likely to get a lot more attention in future litigation. Uh, in recent years, Justice Thomas has authored the majority opinion in several of the FCA cases that have come before the high court, such as the Schutte case that was decided this term and the landmark Escobar ruling in 2016. But in Polanski, he stood alone as the sole dissenter, and he said that he did not think that the government had the power to dismiss a Ketam action after declining to intervene during the seal period. But what was most interesting about Thomas's dissent was his discussion of the constitutionality of the Ketam provisions. As Augustine alluded to earlier, EHR had made the argument that relator's interpretation of the C2A provision would violate separation of powers principles, as well as create problems under the appointments clause. And in his dissent, Justice Thomas went further, suggesting that the entire Ketam system could be unconstitutional by allowing a Ketam relator to litigate claims on behalf of the government in violation of Article II. Moreover, Justice Kavanaugh, who was joined by Justice Barrett, issued a concurrence in which he joined the court's majority opinion, but noted that he agreed with Justice Thomas's point in dissent that there are, quote, substantial arguments that the Ketam device is inconsistent with Article II and that private relators may not represent the interests of the United States in litigation, end quote. And in a statement that will likely be cited in future constitutional challenges to the Ketam provisions, Justice Kavanaugh expressed his view that the court should consider the Article II issue in an appropriate case. So it appears that Justices Thomas, Barrett, and Kavanaugh would all be interested in hearing a case on the constitutionality of the Ketam provisions, and they will only need one of their colleagues to join them in granting cert in the appropriate case. Yeah, that's right, Jason. And I think it's safe to say that we can expect to see a lot of motions to dismiss making constitutional challenges to the Ketam provisions in the years ahead. Well, that's it for this episode. I want to thank Lindsay for sharing her thoughts and my co-host Jason for providing insightful analysis. We'll see you next time on Let's Talk FCA. Let's Talk FCA is brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash let's talk FCA.